You know, it can be hard to see the challenges that people we work with every day are going through. Invisible struggles like stress and burnout, caregiving for a loved one, or being misunderstood. But insight, awareness, and empathy will help us better see the issues they're dealing with. And that can make us and our companies healthier, too. I'm Holly Robinson-Pete. Join us on The Visibility Gap, a new podcast presented by Cigna Healthcare. Download it wherever you get your podcasts. You know success when you see it. Or you think you do the people in the spotlight. But what about those small business masterminds who succeed at making their money work harder? They do that by having a business bank account with QuickBooks Money, which now earns 5% annual percentage yield. Making your money work as hard as you do? That's how you business differently. Learn more about QuickBooks Money at quickbooks.com slash 5APY. Banking services provided by Green Dot Bank. Member FDIC. Only funds and envelopes earn APY. APY can change at any time. This is Bloomberg Crypto, a daily Bloomberg iHeart podcast. And I'm Stacey Marie Ishmael, Managing Editor of Crypto for Bloomberg News. It's Tuesday, December 20th. I'm Anne Herrera, in today for Stacey Marie Ishmael. In the aftermath of the FTX collapse, one of the most significant crypto exchanges in the industry, investors and hedge funds are seriously questioning the future of crypto. FTX was once among the top centralized exchanges. It was a haven for professional and amateur investors. But now, billions of investors' dollars have disappeared and its former CEO, Sam Bankman-Fried, has been arrested and denied bond and is facing conspiracy and fraud charges. Earlier this week, Binance, the largest exchange by volume and a formal rival of FTX, suffered a wave of withdrawals after releasing its proof-of-reserve report, leaving many investors and crypto proponents wondering, should they trust any crypto exchange at all? And if so, what should it do differently? For more on this, I'm joined by Bloomberg reporter Justina Lee. A lot of the time you do need to imitate the practices of Wall Street in order to make these people feel secure. But that kind of defeats the whole purpose. So I'm joined today by Justina Lee, who sits quite close to me in the London Bureau. So I'm (laughs) going to let Justina introduce herself and tell us sort of what her day job is and how she also does crypto. Yeah, so I'm on a Bloomberg team that covers all the asset classes, um, which, of course, includes crypto. So I still write quite a bit about TradFi. So it's been especially interesting to kind of see a lot of crypto people um, look at TradFi market structure and compare that to what they have, um, which I guess is the nerdy topic that we're discussing today. Indeed. So let's take a step back. Obviously, the biggest news this month or a little bit longer now has been the collapse of FTX, the swift and chaotic collapse of FTX. Do you want to give us a bit of background on what FTX meant for sort of the more TradFi aspect of crypto, like the funds that perhaps you would cover, the multi-asset ones, sort of the more professional traders? Why was it such a, you know, big deal for them? Yeah. So to begin with, FTX is one of the top five exchanges in terms of trading volumes. They're far from the biggest. I mean, we all know that's Binance. But I think 
FTX occupied a pretty unique role for institutional pros in particular because it was an exchange that was built by a team that was already familiar with, you know, the stock market and all that. And so they built it in a way that particularly suited, you know, the algorithmic traders. For instance, um, it kind of had leverage built into the system. It also had a lot of inherently leveraged products that were very attractive. The liquidity, by the sounds of it, was pretty good for most of its history. So obviously, you know, as you said, it was built by traders for traders. And that meant that it attracted lots of professional funds, which then means that when it collapsed, and now we know this week the biggest news was that the founder was arrested and and, and charged with, with fraud and misappropriating the funds, what happened was a lot of these funds lost their money. So what has that meant broadly? What, what has it meant for just crypto trading in general? Yeah, I mean, it's really been a big shock. We've heard from some asset managers that they have, you know, a large majority of assets even on FTX. And I think it's fair to say that for a lot of crypto hedge funds that had an active trading strategy, they would at least have some assets on FTX, which are now essentially lost to them, or at least into the bankruptcy process. And so I think for a lot of funds that are still trying to survive, the first instinct has just been to cut back risk. And what that means is, you know, they're deleveraging, they're um, cutting back positions, they're selling their assets and turning them into stable coins or even fiat. And so we've really seen this period of risk aversion all across the market. And because of that, we're actually seeing the market become a bit less efficient and less liquid precisely because a lot of these funds that usually arbitrage away these inefficiencies have really pulled back. And part of the issue maybe you want to tell us is how exchanges in crypto operate a bit differently from exchanges in other markets. And I, I guess many of our listeners might be familiar with one and not the other. Perhaps they might be more familiar with how crypto works. But a big part of it is that there's no real separation of powers, right? Yeah, exactly. I mean, in TradFi, you also have, I guess, centralized exchanges. But the difference here is that you also have a lot of other intermediaries like brokerages and custodians and clearinghouses. And essentially what that means is the exchange is not holding your asset directly. But I think because crypto developed without any infrastructure and without any regulations, and it's always been a very exchange-centric system from the very start. And so the exchanges actually hold your assets directly. And what that means is that, for instance, if you want to use leverage to trade, you need to put your coins on the exchange as margin, and also your profits and losses are on the exchange. And so what people have realized is that that has really created a concentration of risk as well as possibly a conflict of interest for these exchanges. And so when one collapses, you essentially lose a lot of money in one go. Yeah, because you're not only losing your your coins that you were trading, you're losing the, the collateral you'd posted on there as well. So it's like you're, you're losing really everything. And I guess the point is now... Although, you know, crypto is supposed to re revolutionize finance in a way, what you're hearing, I guess, is that some of these funds actually want it to go the other way. They do want to have these intermediaries again, or they'd rather have those intermediaries. Yeah, it's kind of funny because it's almost like a lot of people in crypto are realizing that that's there is a reason why TradFi does things a certain way, even if it sounds like really clumsy. But that is a way to kind of diversify the risk. And that is, you know, how Wall Street has traditionally done things. So what does that mean for the exchanges? Like, does that potentially mean that they'll make less money if like these roles are separated or not really? Or like, 
do you get a sense, speaking to the funds, that exchanges are actually even contemplating this or not really? So exchanges have always been a bit resistant because these solutions are not entirely new. And the reason they haven't been implemented is because the exchanges had no incentive to really change the status quo. And I guess, you know, a, a simple reason for that is the way things currently are. They have direct con- control and visibility into your assets. And so they know that if you're going to, you know, trade on margin, you're not going to go broke on them and they can even liquidate your assets directly. But I think, you know, now there's definitely more pressure from institutions, from a lot of big investors for exchanges to change. And we're now watching whether that's actually going to happen. So what do you think is going to happen in the short term? Like some some of these funds you spoke to said they're just like holding and not not are, are they trading? How are they trading? Like, is it sustainable to not trade and just wait and see what what's the mood? Yeah, I think a lot of pros are in a dilemma right now because they're all worried about counterparty risk. But at the same time, you can't really change crypto market structure overnight. And so if you if your stance is, you know, I will not trade until everything changes, then basically you're not trading. Right. Um, And so I think a lot of them are trying to strike a balance. You know, they're putting pressure on the exchanges to implement better measures to maybe, you know, put together like an off exchange settlement system like we discussed to release proof of reserves and all that while kind of still trading in a way like under the current status quo. Coming up, more with Bloomberg reporter Justina Lee on how hedge funds are adapting to a post-FTX landscape. We'll be right back. You know success when you see it. Or you think you do. The people in the spotlight. Athletes, actors, artists. But what about the people behind the scenes? You know, the ones who make it all happen. The lighting engineers, the sideline photographers, the caterers. They're small business masterminds. And if there's one thing they have in common, it's making their money work harder. That's why they have a business bank account with QuickBooks Money, where they are now earning a generous 5% annual percentage yield. Yes, 5% APY. Making your money work as hard as you do? That's how you business differently. Learn more about QuickBooks Money at quickbooks.com slash 5APY. Banking services provided by Green Dot Bank. Member FDIC. Only funds and envelopes earn APY. APY can change at any time. You know, it can be hard to see the challenges that people we work with every day are going through. Invisible struggles like stress and burnout, caregiving for a loved one, or being misunderstood. But insight, awareness, and empathy will help us better see the issues they're dealing with. And that can make us and our companies healthier, too. I'm Holly Robinson-Pete. Join us on The Visibility Gap, a new podcast presented by Cigna Healthcare. Download it wherever you get your podcasts. So the spotlight has somewhat, I mean, it's not really turned from FTX, but there's now a second spotlight on Binance, I I would say, because, you know, they're by far the biggest exchange out there now. And, you know, if you talk about concentration of risk, like they they are potentially quite uh, risky now if, if something happens to Binance and it's a big deal for everyone. So how are sort of traders thinking about Binance now? Are they changing the way they, they deal with the firm or not really? Like, do you see them separating their their sort of functions a bit more? So Binance has always been, in a way, more resistant to 
turning to a more decentralized approach. I mean, what they've come up with is this idea of Binance custody, which allows you to put your assets in in a way like a specific Binance entity that is there to safeguard your assets and will allow for off-exchange settlement. And so I think that kind of Binance has benefited from this um, situation in that after FTX collapsed, just by virtue of being the most liquid, the biggest exchange out there, they've grabbed market share. And so I think they don't necessarily want to rock the boat, but they can certainly see that a lot of their biggest clients now have these more institutional style demands. So, you know, what are some of the solutions that are that are being proposed? You, we, you know, in your story, you mentioned Copper, which is like a London based firm, I believe. Yes. Uh, what, what are they proposing? And, you know, why is it not taken off or why is, might it take off more now? What, what were they saying when you reported this? So they have a solution called ClearLoop, which is where you put your assets with them, you know, a third party custodian, and the exchanges are sort of plugged into the same system and so that they can see your collateral and they can settle your profits and losses through the ClearLoop system rather than on the exchange itself. And traditionally, it's never been particular po- particularly popular with the exchanges, and so it's not connected to any of the top five. Um, and that's basically why it's never been a very practical solution if you want the liquidity and the volumes of the biggest exchanges. You know, I've spoken to them since FTX fell apart, and they have said that they feel like there's more pressure now for exchanges to implement their solution, and they're optimistic about announcing more integrations. And so, and I can definitely kind of see the reasoning behind that. And so we'll have to see if there are more announcements coming up in the next few months. So obviously, if you're a crypto buff, you'll say, well, you're all, you're talking about centralized exchanges. There's a whole world about crypto. And actually, crypto is not about centralized exchanges, but it's about DeFi and decentralized exchanges. Why has that not really taken off as much with these with funds for now? I guess, you know, we've, we've seen a little bit volumes going up or at least not shrinking as much as on centralized platforms. But, you know, why is it not absolutely 100 percent feasible for some of these funds for now? Yeah, that's a that's a great question, because I'm sure you've heard a lot of people saying in the wake of FTX's collapse that, you know, DeFi was the solution all along. And if anything, that vision has now been vindicated. And I think to some extent that is correct. But the issue is that it was always a very small part of crypto trading volumes even today. And so in a way, it was never a feasible alternative to centralized exchanges. And that's partly because liquidity is just simply not there for DeFi right now. And so if you're the kind of crypto hedge fund that has very active strategies, then you need the liquidity. And and the other issue here is that, you know, because the whole idea of DeFi is that there's no centralized entity. And so there's no one checking your identity. There are no like users, per se, um, with kind of KYC and all that. And so there's always been a lot of regulatory issues behind that. You know, how do you think about money laundering risk? How do you think about, you know, the know your customer risk? And that's why a lot of institutions actually will not touch DeFi at all. So I guess one thing that's quite ironic is that, you know, for a lot of the past year, SBF has been trying to get regular markets to turn more into like crypto markets, right? He had like a proposal with with, uh, the CFTC. So you know, what do you think about that? Now, actually, it seems like he may have made crypto more like TradFi, actually, these funds asking for more separation of powers and more intermediaries, etc. 
succeed and managed to to get the exchanges to accept the fact that they might not post the collateral with them, but somewhere else. Yeah, exactly. And I think, you know, in my reporting about crypto, I think I always come back to the same irony in a lot of cases. Because if the crypto industry really wants to grow and, and then it needs to draw institutional money, right? It needs to draw these existing big pots of money of like pension funds or hedge funds and all that. But in order to do that, a lot of the time you do need to imitate the practices of Wall Street in order to make these people feel secure. But that kind of defeats the whole purpose. But the problem is if you if you stick to DeFi, there's a chance that you'll never be as big as you know you you envisioned yourself to be. And I think, you know, I always think of crypto as kind of walking the line between the two. And I think what seems to be happening here is that because there's already a lot of institutional interests, there are a lot of people that have an kind of an inherent interest in pushing for the more Wall Street version of things. I mean, it doesn't necessarily mean, you know, there won't be DeFi, but then the question here is, you know, will will DeFi always be just a small fraction of the system or will it ever actually you know, take over TradFi. So in closing, what are some of the things you're watching to see and, and spot whether this evolution sort of goes more towards Wall Street or more towards DeFi? Like what what are the signs? What what will you be interested in seeing? Yeah, I think, you know, there there's also another future here, which is it's it's possible that a lot of institutions have now just lost interest. And so kind of crypto goes back to to where it was and in a way I guess, you know, it kind of becomes a much smaller community. And so I think we're, we're kind of seeing, you know, what, what happens to Binance, obviously. There have been a lot of outflows lately. Kind of does it continue to retain the trust of a lot of its users? And, and I think that's sort of the biggest question here because we have seen its market share grow after FTX went under and in a way, it's kind of ironic because a lot of people are now talking about counterparty risk, concentration risk, but kind of in FTX falling apart, Binance has become a much concentra- more concentrated risk of the industry. All right. Thank you so much, Justina. Cool. Thanks a lot for having me. That was Bloomberg reporter Justina Lee. You can find more of her reporting on the Bloomberg terminal and on Bloomberg.com. For more, be sure to check out our twice-weekly newsletter, Bloomberg Crypto. This is Bloomberg Crypto, a daily podcast from Bloomberg and iHeartRadio. For more shows from iHeartRadio, visit the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. Send us your comments, questions, or suggestions for the show to crypto at Bloomberg.net. The supervising producer of Bloomberg Crypto is Vicky Vergolina. Our senior producer is Janet Babin. Our producers are Mohammed Farouk and Sharon Bariro. Our associate producers are Ty Butler and Moses Undam. Desta Wonderad is our engineer. Original music by Leo Sidron. I'm Stacey Marie Ishmel. We'll be back tomorrow. You know, it can be hard to see the challenges that people we work with every day are going through. 
Invisible struggles like stress and burnout, caregiving for a loved one, or being misunderstood. But insight, awareness, and empathy will help us better see the issues they're dealing with. And that can make us and our companies healthier too. I'm Holly Robinson-Pete. Join us on The Visibility Gap, a new podcast presented by Cigna Healthcare. Download it wherever you get your podcasts. I'm Alex Rodriguez. And I'm Jason Kelly. From Bloomberg, this is The Deal. Each week, you're here in conversation with business icons. This show will explore deal-making across sports, media, and entertainment. That is a harsh lesson in business. Sports is and not uh, as simple you know, I, as bringing a bunch of big names together. I didn't want to do another stomp you out speech. It opened so, up so many more doors. The show is called The, the deal. deal. Listen to The Deal wherever you get your podcast, And watch on Bloomberg Originals, Bloomberg Television, or BTV+.